Reefer? Yes, Kristen? If you were a dog, what kind of dog would you be? What are you, Barbara Walters? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog would I be? Wouldn't I have to pronounce the words differently if I were Barbara if Walters? If you were a dog. If I was Barbara. Yeah. If I were Barbara Walters. Okay, it, so. It's better with twee. What kind of twee would you be? Uh, <laughs> okay, if I were a dog, I would probably, well, you know, I, I would have to choose something. I, I saw a Great Dane the other day walking by, and that thing was so massive and stately. It was like a pony. He just had these long, long legs, this great looking head, his 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 that nose of his that was just completely perpendicular to the ground. There was just two parallel lines, not perpendicular. <laughs> parallel, parallel parallel to the parallel to the ground, two perfectly parallel lines. He was just he was so beautiful and angular and awesome looking. If I had to be a dog, I would be a Great Dane. Wow. How about you? I'm a tiny bit scared of Great Danes. Wow, well, yeah, they're huge. They're, they're enormous. They weigh as much as I do. Yeah. And that kind of scares me. I don't sure. know if I'd want to be a dog that weighs as much as me. Um I think I'd I always thought very well of uh, the pugs and the oh. dogs with the smashed-in faces. They're just so cute. <laughs> yeah, there's, are, a name for, there's a technical name for dogs with smashed-in faces. Oh, but, is that right? Yeah, but I just think they're adorable. But they do have respiratory issues. So That's true. Maybe for my own happiness, I might be better off being um, one of those herding dogs, as long as I don't live in the city, like um, a border collie. Oh, uh-huh. Sure. They just seem like they get to have a lot of fun. Yeah. They get to work a lot. They get to be in charge. They're kind of and, pretty. Yeah, they're pretty, and and they're just so nice. Yeah, they have really funny personalities, and yeah, and and they like being busy. I like being busy too. So you make, oh, you'd be a good you'd be a good collie. I, I I would think so. I would like to. I'd like that. And maybe someday we could hang out together. I would try to herd you. I'd run around you, and <laughs> but but you know what you would do because you're you're a Great Dane. You would, would you would just ignore me. I would, <laughs> I would sit on you. <laughs> That's what I'd do. <laughs> Kristen, as if I didn't know, why are you asking me this question? Because there's this guy named Mr. Peabody, and he's a dog. <laughs> and he's a dog that acts kind of like a human, and he adopted a human boy yes. named Sherman. And there's a movie about them out this week called Mr. Peabody and Sherman. That's right. Uh, all right, we'll talk about that in a moment. And we are going to have a guest on with us who is going to tell us a little bit more, in more detail, probably than you ever thought you would, you would, you would hear, about what exactly is Mr. Peabody. What breed is that dog? Uh, that's in a moment. First, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Day. So, Kristen, before we get to the actual reviews, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Peabody and Sherman, a great, great mystery surrounding Peabody, the character, the dog. What, what is he exactly? We don't really know. No, we know that he wears glasses. We know, we we know, know that, a small know that bow tie. A, yes, and we also know from this new movie, and we'll explain more about him later, but uh, we know from this new movie that he was an orphan dog. So That's the right. kind of dog that might get left... Uh, in a pound, but you know, then again, all sorts of dogs get left in pounds. Purebreds, mixed dogs, all sorts of animals end up in the pound. So that's right, and we do, and we do get to hear uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit about his uh, his backstory, his his many many accomplishments. Here's a clip. Mr. Peabody, you're a Nobel Prize winning scientist, a world renowned explorer, and you're an Olympic gold medalist in both the long jump and the decathlon. You're sure you're capable of meeting all the challenges of raising a human boy? 
Given all that I've accomplished, how hard could it possibly be? Very well, then. If a boy can adopt a dog, I see no reason why a dog cannot adopt a boy. So the question is, what, what kind of dog could achieve all this? And here to help us perhaps parse all this out is uh, Sarah Montague. She's a senior producer at WNYC. She is also the station's resident dog expert. She covers the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show annually. Sarah, thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. So you, you are familiar with Peabody and Sherman. What are your thoughts on, 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 first, on first glance when you're looking at Peabody what do you think? On first glance, I think of him as being a triumph of the cartoonist's art. I love the way he seems to combine all of his characteristics. He's a Harvard grad. He's yes. an earnest parent. He's patrician but concerned. However, I think there's no point in my coming on here with any kind of pretensions to expertise without coming down on the side of some actual opinion. And I'm going to go out on the edge of my dog bone and say that I think he is a beagle. You think he's a beagle. Okay. Interesting. But, but Sarah, I have a question about this beagle thing. Okay. If he is a beagle, is, Snoopy's a beagle. He doesn't look like Snoopy. And, and he doesn't look like the beagles I know who are different colors because Peabody's just pure white. He is, and I came in here prepared to defend my opinion. Um, Beagles actually come in a very wide range of colors, one of which is called lemon. Lemon beagles are an extremely pale cream colored with a big field of white. Theoretically, you could have a lemon beagle that was very close to white. Ah, interesting. Mm. I have never in my life heard of a lemon beagle. No. And and are beagles, are they all know-it-alls? Are they all like Mr. Peabody? Yeah. Are they, are they known for being hyper-intelligent? Because Snoopy, again, beagle, active, active imaginative life, uh, you know, rich, rich social life, so, so we're told. They are, in fact, indeed that. And in order to, again, support my opinion with people even more expert than myself, I brought a bit of documentation. Um, last year, the American Kennel Club ran a survey of the world's smartest dog breeds based on things like their ability to cover a multiplicity of tasks Ah. and to have high organizing ability and energy. Beagles are number four on that list. They tend to follow their nose, which makes them exceptional at detective work. And amongst other things, they are enormously prey and hunt driven. They're wildly active. Most of the breed standards say with some cautionary note that this is a breed that is absolutely delighted to be with you and be active, but that it requires an endless array of tasks to keep it happy because it is perpetually curious and very driven. This to some extent sounds absolutely like the multi-talented Mr. Peabody. It does. He he must find something else to do, so once he's mastered the piano, time to go on to chiropractory. That's right. Right, exactly right. <laughs> Which he does in the movie. Which he does in the film, yes, to, uh, to uh, a, a guy played by uh, Stephen Colbert in the film, um, the voice of Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. So, so here's the other question. You know, in, in this film, he has adopted a human boy, raised him. He's very fond of him, deep love for him, very, very parent-child relationship in the movie. Uh, does that square with the nature of beagles as well, or is it a little more vice versa? Do they, do they more depend on you to be the nurturer? Actually, 
beagles are hounds, which means they are pack animals. They are used to being brought up in groups. And in fact, the very opinionated huntsman of my own beagle pack says she thinks most dogs are separated too early from their packs and parents because eight weeks is when it is physically safe to remove them from mother's milk. But she says, in fact, most dogs are really trained up by their community of dogs. So if you were a beagle, you would be thinking of your adoptee Sherman as a member of your pack, and it would absolutely be your obligation to be sure he understood the world and knew how to follow his nose through it. Not, perhaps, through layers of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's an, that's an, that's an additional wrinkle. We, we, we can chalk that up to fiction. Now, is, uh, when it comes to animals adopting humans, is, is a beagle really the best animal to adopt you? If you, if you were going to be adopted by a dog as a human, it, what, what kind of dog is the best for that? Is it a beagle? I have to say that, in truth, I think J.M. Barry probably had the better instinct here, that if you were going to be adopted, something like an old English sheepdog is a little more consoling, partly because herding breeds, as opposed to hound breeds, are dogs created to be responsible for things. A beagle will expect you to keep up with the work and will be extremely concerned that you do this well, but a herding breed is designed to be sure that you're safe and comfortable. Sheep. Right. So, in fact, a herding breed is more of a natural caretaker than a hound breed is. But dogs are as various as we are. Mm -hmm. We've seen that human beings, who are, of course, enormously variable and seem sometimes to defy their circumstances and characters, there's really no reason why Mr. Peabody, who is a hound, shouldn't have a little bit of herding in him. So there you have it. The answer is, we're pretty sure he's a beagle. Oh, I hope you're right. I'm sure you are right. I'm sure you're totally right, Sarah. You know what you're talking about with dogs. Thank you so much, Sarah Montague, senior producer at WNYC and the station's resident dog expert. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. is so cool, isn't she? Yes. I just was... love her. She's just great. And she knows so much about dogs. Yeah, I, more, more than any person I know. <laughs> I want to be her dog. Um... <laughs> let's not go there. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about Peabody, the movie. Yes, indeed. So, uh, of course, this is based on the old J. Ward cartoons, as we, as we said. Actually created by a guy named Ted Key for the J. Ward Rocky and Bullwinkle show. It was about a time-traveling dog and his boy Sherman. In this, in this telling, um, everything is pretty much the same, uh, but we also have the added factor of a girl, a classmate of uh, Sherman's named Penny. Oh, that Penny. Oh, that Penny, played by Ariel Winter of uh, ABC's Modern Family. And as it happens, uh, her real life, her, her father on that show is played by... Is Ty Burrell. By, Ty, by Ty Burrell, who provides the voice of Mr. Peabody, who is... A dead ringer, I would say, for the original voice actor, uh, he's Bill Scott. So good. Yeah, he's, he's, so he's good. terrific in it. Uh, so here, Penny is kind of the, uh, the catalyst. She convinces Sherman to show her the Wayback Machine. They get inside, they take a disastrous trip to Egypt, and they wind up uh, having to be rescued essentially by Mr. Peabody. That's the basic premise. Now, how did you like this, Kristen? How did you, how, were, A, were you a fan of the original Rocky and Bullwinkles? And B, did you, do you think this measures up? Oh, how I loved the original Rocky and Bullwinkle. Looking back, I probably didn't understand about 90% of the jokes because right. they were much more clever than your typical kids show because it yes. was for grownups too. And um, lots of Cold War references I didn't quite understand growing up. But 
uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, big, big fan growing up. And it's, you know, the whole world is in Frostbite Falls, Minnesota. So Minnesotans right. love it. Minnesota for you. We, we love that. <laughs> but, okay. Um, and I always like Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Um, Mr. Peabody, kind of a know-it-all, but a good-hearted know-it-all. And he takes you on fun history adventures. And I've always loved history. Yeah. And uh, what I like about this movie is they give him just a little bit more heart. He's not just a know-it-all with his boy. And uh, he's not just the puns, which we love the puns. We do love the puns. <laughs> and he has them in this movie, too. But you get some of his backstory. You see he's an orphan, and in the pound, nobody wants to adopt him because he's a know-it-all. And then later on, he goes on in life and is able to adopt a boy because he can really understand what that boy's going through. Yes. So I, I liked all that. I liked the heart in it. Sometimes it was a little bit too... How can I put this? A little too frenetic, a little too... A little jumbled. A little jumbled. And it was a, it was a little bit like, you know, they have to zing bow for today's kids. Yeah. Once in a while, that gets on my nerves. I'd rather they just stick to a great story. So that can be irritating. But mostly I liked it. What about you? I liked it a lot as well. I thought it was um, really fun. Uh, I thought it really kept to the spirit of the original cartoons. Uh, I thought it was pretty smart. I thought the jokes were funny. I agree, you know, if you're trying to basically squeeze a... A, a series of time travel shorts because those original segments were only about four minutes long. So basically, if you're trying to squeeze a bunch of time travel into one narrative, things are bound to get a little confused and a little off the track. And so there is that. Also, my, my frequent complaint about kids' movies, too many fart jokes. <laughs> fart jokes and butt jokes. I get a little tired of them. I know kids think it's funny. So many in here. Many, many, many. Boobies and butts and <laughs> yes. things coming out of butts. Yes, a lot of I things know. coming out of butts. I know. I know. Which, um, the Sphinx, you know, the Sphinx has a butt, so something's got to come out of the Sphinx. Yeah, there's that Trojan horse. Right. Something's got to come out of the Trojan horse. <laughs> that gets a little tiresome to me. But overall, I think there's a lot of heart in it. As you said, I liked the kind of the added emotional depth of the bond between Peabody and Sherman. I thought that was nice. And overall, I thought it was, for a kid's movie, a pretty good date. It, w- it was. I agree with you. And most kids' movies are such awful There's, messes, in my opinion. Boy, it's they're so just true. terrible, and they're hard to sit through. And, they're, and, and this one, better than most of them. And, you know, I, I just feel like saying the Mr. Peabody-Sherman um, thing to you. What? And then to have you say the thing back, Mr. Peabody... I love you. And, and then you say? I have a deep regard for you as well, Kristen. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to start saying that all the time to everybody from now on. <laughs> it's a nice line. It's a nice line. It's great. It's great. All right. So we were in agreement on, on, on Peabody and Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Um, let's see how we feel about 300 Rise of an Empire. Now, you were not familiar with the first... 300, were you? No. I mean, what I know, because I did a little bit of my research, I I know that uh, this movie was made in 2006 with Gerard Butler as the star. The Spartans are fighting. It's around 300, 500-ish BC. Yes. And um, it's a bloodbath, and it's based on the Frank Miller graphic novels. That's right. Xerxes. And so this particular film kind of takes place... Meanwhile, what's happening over here with the Athenians and the right. Persians, so it's not a sequel or a prequel. It's kind of a meanwhile yeah. sort of film. This time around, um, 
our main character. Well, you might disagree with me on this. I thought the main character might have been Eva Green in this. Oh, she's, that's a, that's an interesting point. She plays uh, Artemisia. She's kind of the the female m- fighting for the Persians, right? The, fighting for King Xerxes. Yeah, she's like the lieutenant colonel, the captain of yeah, the military. Uh, does she have an actual title? I didn't I know. I have no idea. I'm just making up stuff now. Okay, I have no right. idea. And and then, but I think our hero is the is the Athenian. The Athenian general, uh, Themistocles, played by uh, Sullivan Stapleton. I think he's the hero of the film. He might be, but isn't she so much more fun because she's <laughs> Eva Green? She's Eva way Green more fun. Eva Green is so much more fun. Not just because she's Eva Green, but because her character's more interesting. Her character has a backstory. Right. Her character, when she was young, the Greeks came. They raped. They murdered her parents. They raped. They held her captive as a sex slave all through her childhood. She's got a bone to pick. She, she definitely does. She, for good reason. And so she's now fighting and she is willing to do anything necessary to make sure that she's not a victim again, that her people aren't victims again. Let's play a clip. The Persian king Darius, annoyed by the notion of Greek freedom, has come to Greece to bring us to heal. He makes landfall at the field of Marathon with an invading force which outnumbers the Greek defenders three to one. And so at dawn, the hopeless Athenians do the unthinkable. They attack. Well, so, did you buy all this? Did you buy all this uh, sword, sandals, bloodshed? I, I have to be very honest with you, Rafer. I didn't even understand what was going on most of the time. <laughs> A little confusing. <laughs> because we just heard that long speech, that exposition. I don't really... And and it's just not from Eva Green, by the way, from uh, from uh, King Leonidas, Gerard Butler's wife, uh, now now widow. And it's up to her to to deliver all the uh, St. Crispin's Day speeches in the film. now. And they're so long and they're so confusing and they're full of details and words I don't know. And uh, so many speeches. Yeah. And while all these speeches are happening, they're in a fight again. Yeah, we're fighting you again. Look, here's a sword to your leg. Here's a sword to your face. Right. I'm going to cut your head off. Now I'm going to kiss your head. Now I'm going to throw it toward the camera. Yes, yes. And I'm going to do all of it in extreme slow motion. Yes. So that the droplets and rivers of blood coming toward you look like some sort of beverage in one of those Fanta commercials from the 70s. (laughs) Yes. Just... On and on yeah, and lots on. Of digital, lots of digitally applied blood across the screen in this in this film. And you're right, um, massive slow motion, so almost still motion practically, right? Yeah. And there were certain moments I just was like, I understand that you have the technology to do this. <laughs> right. But I don't need to see it all the time. You know, that right. whole like... Let's let's use our date analogies again. Sometimes you just gotta save the magic. Yeah, I. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't bring up all the big guns at once all the time. Eventually, it just turns into white noise. Yeah, there's very little foreplay in yeah. this date. <laughs> very very little. This this date this date this date gets you right on the couch. Yes, and before you know it, it's like, God, I've been on the couch for a long time, and my legs are falling asleep. <laughs> are I don't we really still know what's doing going this? on. Still this this. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. It's true. It's a bad date. It's a bad day. And I liked the first 300 quite a bit. That was directed by Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder wrote the screenplay, co-wrote, I think, the screenplay for this one. He did not direct it, and they've hired a guy named Noam Murrow to um, basically be a Zack Snyder impersonator. And I feel like he's, I don't know, 
overcompensating or something, Ooh, shall we say? Maybe. Uh, there, or something. There, but there is the one fight sex scene, which yes, if you like fight sex, there's a fun fight sex scene. Right. That's true. That's that's a fun scene. And you're right. Eva Green, uh, who was in Dark Shadows, she played Angelique in Dark Shadows opposite um, Johnny Depp, stole the show in that movie. There's not much show to steal in this movie, but she does <laughs> steal it. She's great. I think she's awesome to see. But She's like stealing a piece of gum that's left on the sidewalk. There's <laughs> right. nothing to steal here. But <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay. So we agree. We agree again. Uh, not not a great date. No, not a great date. Yeah. All right. That's too bad. It's too bad. But you know what's not too bad? We we have a letter for movie therapy, and we love movie therapy letters. Yes, we do. So we got a call to five seven one seven movies. That's our hotline here. Thank you for calling. We love it when you call. Rafer especially loves it. Me, I love it. <laughs> Let's play this call. This is Marjorie from New York, and I have a movie date therapy question for you, which is that after my husband and I saw the movie Mulholland Drive, we became completely obsessed with trying to understand that movie and um, found a whole website devoted to it, pages and pages, and we're just really, we thought it was such an interesting movie, and I'm so curious what you two Think about that movie. That's a tough. Uh, that's a tough order. Marjorie, wow! You want us to tell you what Mulholland Drive is about? The, me- <laughs> the meaning of Mulholland Drive. <laughs> Kristen, do you want to take a stab at this? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to say it's totally fine, Marjorie. If you and your husband are confused and you don't really know what to make of this, and you keep researching online, you know why you don't get it? Nobody gets it. In in my opinion, this movie, because it was originally designed to be a television series, a TV series that got got declined by the networks. The networks did not want the TV show. So he kind of put it all together and made kind of a jumbled movie and threw on an ending that he didn't know the ending initially when he first put the series together. And I think that's one of the reasons why people might be confused about this movie. However, it was very highly regarded. That year, a lot of critics put it on their top ten list. Big favorite among the critics, yeah. Yeah, and who doesn't love some David Lynch weirdness? He's bizarre. He's got great style. All those things are likable. A lot of people just loved all the girl-on-girl action in this movie. Right. Who doesn't love that? I, I, mm. Well, you know. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I, I don't really care about girl-on-girl action. <laughs> I don't take offense at it. I'm just like... <laughs> I didn't do it for you, huh? No, it's well, just not my thing. Okay. It's just not my thing. Whatever. But um, so, Marjorie, I was, that's what I have to say about that. I think it was put together in an odd way. It's hard to figure it out for most of us. I almost feel like David Lynch didn't even know what he was doing. Yeah, I, I my, my take on, on Mulholland Drive is, uh, and I, I want to say I'm a David Lynch fan, and I loved Eraserhead, and I also loved Blue Velvet. And they're two kind of, they're two very different movies. Eraserhead, pure symbolism. Blue Velvet, an actual old-fashioned noir mystery, That's and I so think good. and so good. They're both they're both two of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I think Mulholland Drive tries to walk a line between them. I think it wants to work on its symbolic and sort of Im- imagistic uh, levels, but it gives you this kind of narrative that threads you through, that pulls you through. One of the reasons you watch the film is because you're waiting to find find out how this narrative is going to weave together and what what it all is going to say to you but it doesn't and and at the and at the end of the day I, I feel like that's a bit of a cheat I, I, guess, I guess I feel like 
if you want to make a movie about symbols, make a movie about symbols. If you want to make a movie with a narrative, I would like that narrative to make sense. And mm. this one doesn't. And I just felt that I just felt that it didn't right, really work. I, I, again, uh, Kristen and I are alone, I think, in, in, the, in the critical establishment <laughs> of are. not really liking this movie. But, you know, I was not a huge fan of it. And this, this, this and Lost Highway is around the time when I kind of began to lose patience with David Lynch, um, kind of for that reason. But so I guess what we're really saying to you, um, Marjorie, is we don't know. We have no, we have no idea. How's that? How's that? But let's recommend something else. Let's recommend Blue of a, and you like you actually like Firewalk with me. I love Firewalk with me. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, not many people saw it. The thing sank without a trace. But uh, that was supposed to be kind of the theatrical capper to Twin Peaks. I don't think you have necessarily have to have seen the original series to appreciate Firewalk with me. But I think it. I think that's a movie that works on its own without a narrative trying to fool you into thinking that it's going to say something to you. It's just sort of one long nightmare. And I found that movie totally terrifying and I, I loved it. So I would recommend that if, you, if you're jonesing for more, um, for more David Lynch. Nice. There's, there's some David Lynch methadone for you right nice. there. Very nice. <laughs> well, let's wrap things up with trivia. Yes. Okay. So last week we were talking about this new Jesus movie, Son yes. of God. Son of God. And we were noting that there have been a lot of biblical movies that have been made over the years. And we played the following clip and asked you to identify which biblical movie this is from. Try not to get worried. Try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's all right? Yes, everything's fine. And I think I shall sleep well tonight. Let the world turn without me tonight. And here is the right answer. Hi, this is Lana. I'm calling from Toronto. And the answer to this week's trivia is Jesus Christ Superstar, and that's Yvonne Elman singing. And ironically, I did know the answer to the trivia last week. I recognized Paul Bettany's voice. However, since I don't live in the U.S., I assumed other people would call in, so I didn't bother. But there you go. So you didn't stop me. Thank you. Way to go. Lana, great job. Great job. But you know what I have to point out, Lana? (laughs) You are one of... Over a dozen callers who called in and said, I actually knew the answer to the week before as well. Yes, the albino question. Yes, the evil albino. <laughs> the evil albino who, who question. was that? Oh, that was, that was Paul Bettany in the Da Vinci Code. Castigo corpus meo. And you know what? You, like a lot of people, if you know the right answer, don't be afraid. No, We're call not gonna in. We're going to bite you. We call love in. you. Call us. We love you. Every time you call, a part of our heart just explodes with joy and happiness. That's right. It's like the Grinch. It gets three sizes bigger. Yes, it does. And it makes Mr. Peabody say, rather than holding you in high regard, that he actually loves you back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All those great things happen. So please don't be afraid to call us. We love yes. you. I agree. I agree. Okay. So... Now, here's your chance. Here's your chance to call in once again this week's trivia because we were talking about Mr. Peabody. We had Sarah Montague here uh, defining, at least helping us try to define the breed of, of Mr. Peabody. Another dog question for you. In the 2001 film Cats and Dogs, who played Lou the Beagle? What actor provided the voice of Lou 
the Beagle. Here's a clip. I think that if I'm going to be a secret agent, I should have a better name. I was thinking Toto Annihilation. I'm on to you, Kitty, and you're in big trouble. I think not, baby puppy. It is you who is in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can name that A-list actor... Lou the Beagle from Cats and Dogs, give us a call, 5717movies. And you can always visit us at our website, facebook.com slash movie date podcast. If you want to survive.